Hello and welcome to Dynamite Neddy. It's a retro games podcast where a couple of ow pals get together and talk about a couple of ow games. The voice you're hearing just now is myself, Mick Clockerty. Joining me as always, we have Mr. Andy Mack. Kirijiwa. And Mr. Mick McCormick. Hello. Hey lads, what he's been up to, what he's been playing. Feels like it's been a wee while, but I think that's just the kind of the nature of our erratic recording <laughs> set up in it. <laughs> Again, the games I've been playing feel like a distant memory. <laughs> I need to consult Aye. my notes a bit. Just trying to get uh, a to find a, a free night to get it done. Um, but I've been choking today the recording for the last week or two. But fucking things kept getting away. But tonight, tonight we have the freedom. And we have um, brought the fun and the cans, and well, one can, and looking forward to tonight. Again, um, it features a wee blue bluff, so that's never a bad show, is it? Ach, nah. Well, rumour has it that maybe a, a preview for an upcoming episode, but you have been to see Sonic 2 at the cinema. Oh, oh man. Absolutely. I can't scenes, believe man. you brought your wee boy rather than us, us two grown adults. <laughs> and yeah, no, he brought me, mate. He's fucking Sonic Daft, right? Not, not Sonic Supersonic. He's Supersonic Daft. He just uh, he loves it, man. He did his birthday like, a couple of weeks ago and he had a little Supersonic cake and all that. He's mad, mate, man. He loves it. Amazing. Uh, plays uh, the old ones, the new ones. Can't get enough. So took him down to see Sonic as soon as it was released, man. Kidding on, I wasn't all excited in that. And then watched it, and it, I've got to say, man, I'd, shall we leave it? Shall we leave it for the... Because I'll go and see it again with you. We'll, we'll end up doing an episode on it. I've got a couple of predictions that, if, if we're at the pub beforehand, I'll, I'll lay them out. But I'm fucking calling it right now, uh, <laughs> post-credits, Shadow the Hedgehog scene. It's going to... Everything's going to be sorted in that, and Sonic and that will be back home with... James Marsden or whoever the fuck, and then, you know, it'll be like, they'll go, oh, what's this? Energy pod over here or something? And then Shadow will be in it, and it's, it's sequel bait. By the end of the film, you wouldn't be surprised, anyway, because it's just, it's ah. like, seven up just like Easter egg, Easter egg for a Sonic fan, you know what I mean? It was class. But anyways, we'll talk about it in a future episode, I'm sure. I'm 100%. They'll set up a third one. The last time we done a Sonic uh, movie episode, we went to pictures, and then the next day, the whole world shut down for two years. So let's hope that's not a foreshadowing for future events. It doesn't look like it. I don't think it's any post. <laughs> I was very glad that I got to see Dune in the cinema, because I was like, I was fully on board with the idea that Sonic the Hedgehog would be the last <laughs> film i ever seen in the pictures. <laughs> uh, I watched June as well yeah, mate. That was pretty good That's the first kind of June thing I've ever seen You never watched the lunch one? Yeah, I've never watched it. the lunch no, one Never seen it It's fucking that, I don't actually think they're that different But I think they take a, a couple of fucking crazy liberties In the David Lynch one And there's a lot of fucking Do you know how he uses the same actors in a lot of things? So you've got like fucking uh, A guy that played like Pete in Twin Peaks in it Or like Razorhead Like kicking about Pretending to be from like Clan Harkonnen and that, it's it's, it's quite it's quite jarring. Well, I was quite stoned watching June, and I was thinking, I don't know why I got this because it's so out of like, June's probably a lot older than this, but I was thinking this reminds me of when the see when they turn now you had all them legal high shops that made a fortune at a selling spice. <laughs> I was thinking that, like, but this reminds me of like, when they shut down and there was like a transition to becoming an illegal drug, and there was like 
a big war between the people supplying it and the, the people that were trying to buy it. And I was like, this could be a euphemism for that. And then I read the, the data when June was actually made and it was decades before, man. <laughs> <laughs> it was written in the 60s, so like Aye. the idea that a psychedelic drug could let you see the future and travel literally through time and space was like, it's kind of in the air at the time. Aye, well, we've got that now. You see, the guy's made the DMT vapes, man. <laughs> Honestly, DMT vapes. And it's it's got something like the guy said he's not doing it for any capitalist reason. He said, I'm doing it to open the world's eyes, right? But it's got, they've got 2,100 puffs in each like, one. It's like a, a disposable one. But see if 2,100 people puff up, then that's 2,100 people that have got to get signed in that then the taxpayers got to pay for. Because it drives you off your fucking nut. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that if DMT reaches like that wide an audience, it would actually open a portal to hell, <laughs> like in, like in Warhammer Forty K. That's that's how entire planetary societies end. Well, you see things on Facebook, and it's like before and after. Before is like a wee guy maybe going through a wee bit of a hard time, and uh, but he's all right, he's all right, he's all right. And it shows you after, and he's sitting in like a. A gaff and fucking govin, they're all sitting with their legs crossed, they're fucking following shaman, banging a drum in his house and that. You're like, ah, hold on a fucking minute, what's went wrong? Has something went wrong or something went right? It's debatable. I mean, I've heard worse um, your life going to ruin drug stories than, oh, I, he got a shaman. Uh, like, that's, you know, losing your job, your missus, um, fucking years <laughs> of your life. Uh, getting a shaman doesn't seem so bad. Well, aye, the alternative uh, is like just getting really into Joe Rogan. On balance, it's not quite as bad <laughs> as being addicted as Mac. I've heard that fucking like, big guys and that that think, oh man, we're all going to high on this. This happened when Sylvia came out, they had to shut down that stuff shop in Glasgow, because it. They think they're smoking weed and it's going to make them feel like, oh man, I'm high on that. No, mate, this will shatter your soul. Scoop up all the wee shards, smash my boot in a salt shaker, and then throw them all back together again. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, I think that's a, it, it's just a fucking hallucinogen. Turns your consciousness in on itself. Make, you ever seen the, see things you don't want to see? You ever seen the toad? I've I've been kind of watching this. The toad they take they call it, and it's the weirdest way to ingest a drug ever. What they do is right. It's um, a type of DMT that only grows out of toads like. Farter, right? What you do is you get the this wee jelly stuff and you put it onto like a burning ember, and you, the way that you ingest the drug is to burn the burning ember and you <laughs> fucking that's how it gets into your bloodstream. What do you mean into you? But they take it's like a ceremonial thing, so they'll have two things like two tongs that they've just took out the fucking barbecue, and they'll so you brand yourself it into your body. That's kind of high. But then, all the fucking high was was these two guys with beards in like, the local fucking bit of water, if you think about one day, bay, spewing and rolling about in a water, man. Where well, you're a fucking like, priest. It's not a priest, you know what, but I can a priest in that religion. It's fucking saying like, fucking sermons at them and they're rolling about in the water, spewing on each other and that. I'm saying, I'm never taking this again. <laughs> it's fucking nuts, man. That's great. Fucking tongue bass indeed. <laughs> Right, so we went um, pretty breakneck speed there from Sonic the Hedgehog 2 to like, some shamanistic ritual and various different types of DMT. As, as ever, I'll, I'll enjoy listening back to see the, the journey. Um, I mean, I, I, could, I could talk about some games I've been playing, but I feel like it wouldn't, wouldn't live up to, <laughs> to that experience. Go on then, what, what have you been playing just quickly? So I've had a lot of a game called Dicey Dungeons I've played that, you know, I quite like Or it was a 
some kind of fucking alpha build, to be honest. I don't even know if it's fully out yet. It is new. It was like heavily discounted on itch, um, so I didn't get it at full price. But yeah, I figured it was worth flinging a, f- a few bob towards. Um, it's pretty good. I'm, I'm quite into it. It's not a million miles off of Slay the Spire, which we kind of talked about a few episodes ago. Um, one of these kind of... The, it's not quite a deck builder, but it's... One of these things where you kind of get the whole experience of playing like a big long JRPG but condensed into like 15 minutes. The kind of concept of this one is you're, is you're fighting battles and going down the levels of the dungeon. It's all based on dice, so turn-based battles at the start of each turn, you get a certain number of dice rolled onto the table, you know, one to six. And then you can choose to use those to do different things depending on your equipment. So, for example, you might have a, a shield and if you put a 1 onto the shield, you get 1 bit of defence. If you put a 6 on, you get 6 bits of defence. Or you might have a sword that does a load of damage, but it only works with even numbers or odd numbers. And then you might get other equipment that kind of like bumps the dice up or like duplicates it. Or like, so you can kind of combine these different factors and kind of use those to like to, to defeat the enemy. Ah. Uh, it's good fun. It gets a bit kind of... Mere complicated as it goes on, there's different types of characters with different twists on the formula and different abilities. So, like, one of them um, is a thief who can steal other people's equipment, baddies they're fighting, and also, like, they do really well with dice with low numbers. So, most of their attacks, like, you can only use it with three maximum or four maximum. But you've got other tools to kind of bring your number down or split the dice in two and stuff like that. You've got a robot who... It's got a blackjack sort of mechanic, so you can like gamble to get more and more dice. But if you hit above a certain number, you kind of um, what what do you call it in blackjack when you bust. strike out? One uh, you get, uh, oh, you go bust. bust. You go bust, and then you can't do it in that turn. Yeah, it's, it's pretty good. It kind of makes you kind of scratch your head a wee bit, kind of thinking how to kind of best build your character and how to how to do these fights. My uh, my pal Sean recommended it to me, and I played as I say, I think a, a pretty early build of it. So, and I, I remember liking it then, so I'll need to fucking jump back on and, and see what the finished product looks like. Oh, aye, I was going to say, I played a, a, a couple of things, man. Um, I've been playing, the Xbox pad matches up, but seems to match up with every ROM perfectly. It's an amazing pad to use for emulators, I don't know what it is about it, but I've had that plugged into the, the RetroArch for years. Aye, it's fucking mental. I see was watching when uh, I played through while it was again, man. And uh, if they, they, there's something about that N64 and the Xbox pad that go together great, I don't know. And that's a, not an easy thing to do because the N64 can be a bit arsey when it comes to control pads. But playing that was great. And I synced it up to Fantasy Star Online as well. See the one, um, the first one? Nice. You play on the private server. Aye. Pumping some of into that, man. It's great. I'm still uh, the Fenium Warrior. I've still not liberated the galaxy yet, but... I will be, I will be soon, I hope, when I get to level 80. Have you liberated the six counties? Well, <laughs> six counties, not quite, not quite. I've, I've not even liberated myself because apparently the party starts at level 80 and I'm only on level 66. So I've still <laughs> got like 14, what is it, man, I 14, 16 levels to go until I'm joining the party, so to speak, and then it's time to get the country back. <laughs> I didn't like how helpful the community was. <laughs> you want to play a game with a fucking a completely antagonistic community like League of Legends or something? No, but I, we all picked our characters, right? And I picked this stupid wee fat elf thing that looks ridiculous. And I was like, I'm going to be this. And I'm running about as that. And then people kept like, putting in a chat where like, 
hey, respectfully, this is not a good class to play as a new player. <laughs> Smiley face and that. And I'm like, fuck up. I'll do what I want. Keep That's, it my fucking That just business. sounds a bit passive-aggressive. <laughs> yeah. so than friendly. See, when you go on, but it's just all different colours of human hue casts. So you get a green hue cast and they're all both bulked up like fuck. Uh, so there's like thousands of them. There's maybe like one elf. See, I don't want to play. I don't want to play a game that way. I don't want to be like trying to constantly compare myself against other people. This is good advice for real life as well, right? Don't fucking try to do the optimum build. Just, just do you. <laughs> you know, if you want to be a wee fat elf jester, do it. <laughs> exactly. I'm not going to stop you. I apologise for it. And it's better too because it's either like when we played online, it was better that before days were all different, wasn't it? Because uh, it kind of opened up. Complements each battles, other. A battle should be like that, I suppose. It's either just four few cast around a dragon, but I'm fucking. I mean, you had your kind of different spectrum of perhaps maybe the sort of players, the player characters that we like to make. I had a, a, a funny looking character. Uh, McCormick went for one of his uh, go-tos, which is he just made a ridey woman. Uh, she looked quite cool. She had an eye patch and that, like a big sniper rifle. And Aero and Andy were kind of robots with swords. Like you, you had a couple of different tastes represented there. Aye. it wasn't as good as Final Fantasy IV multiplayer that night. That was fucking mental. Oh, that was that was that was strange. I I don't even know if they'd be on servers or still going. Cutting about this fucking Final Fantasy fortune in, in in some sort of dungeon that and it's online it's multiplayer. Have you explained this before, Mitch? Have you? I think you might have talked about this in the episode, but I can't remember what this whole Beyond Final Fantasy ripoff thing is. It's basically a simple game making tool. It's Beyond. It's B Y O N D. And I think when you download it, it it comes with all the stuff you need to make a game as well as to put a game online. Basically, it's a tool to make Wii online games, but in the early 2010s, it was popular for people to upload, to take all the assets for like the Super Nintendo Final Fantasy games and essentially make online versions of like Final Fantasy 4, 5, 6. And they were, they were really quite popular. Sometimes you would have a couple of thousand people on these servers at any one time. They used to go down in that. But Square Enix put the fucking kibosh on it big style. Um, and thing we them all off. But through, maybe a wee bit like your, your PSO, your Fantasy Star, um, through clandestine means, there are like wee Facebook groups you can go onto and, you know, find these kind of hidden links to get back onto these games. And then, sure enough, we found one in... I don't know, there was maybe a handful of people online. And Aye, there was like, guys that were just pure surprised that new people have turned up. <laughs> <laughs> it's been about seven years, man. <laughs> yeah. You, you get to pick between different sort of wee sprites and what colour they are, and I think you got to pick job classes and that as well, didn't you? Ah, it was mental. It was better than Final Fantasy XI anyway. <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed that a lot better. It was more respectful of your time. Um, uh, I I joined that and I think I went Rex, which is my fucking online handle since I was like ten. But someday on the forum was like, "Oh Rex, I've not seen you for ages. How's it going?" <laughs> was, Wrong guy, mate. I was really confused and I was like, "I, I think you're thinking of somebody else." Like, all oh, right, I, I think I'm thinking of somebody I played this game with about six years ago. <laughs> I've not seen him for a while. No, oh, mate, I'm Sonic. I'm Sonic with an eye patch, mate. <laughs> <laughs> 
speaking of Sonic with an eye patch, uh, let's. Uh, that was a kind of shite link. But, um, <laughs> we've got a bit of a theme theme episode for you here. We're looking at different types of handheld games, so we are, and we're going to go. Andy, you've gone for the the kind of esoteric route and picked a handheld, probably that Nanny has ever held there, um, and we. Probably that Nanny has ever actually held the the Neo Geo Pocket, um, and you've picked but Sonic Pocket Adventure for uh, McCormick. Aye, Tell us aye. a wee bit about other than other than the obvious. Why why did you pick a, a system in this game? Aye, Neo Geo Pocket. So obviously, as soon as you hear the words Neo Geo, you're thinking, oh man, this is something a bit offbeat, a bit offshoot, a bit niche, and uh, it certainly is that. It's um, it, it was released quite late, um, nineteen ninety nine, in terms of like, that generation of handhelds. It was brought out to sort of rival the Game Boy Color it was out at the time. But it had like better graphics than it. It was like a bit stronger. It was a wee bit like a Game Gear in a lot of ways. But it never had many games. Um, SNK didn't really um, have many third parties just, like, making games for it. It did have one Wii Outlier called uh, Sonic the Hedgehog Pocket Adventure. As I said, because it was like 98, 99, at the time Sonic Adventure was being made, so it was like transitioning between the old kind of Japanese Sonic to this new kind of um, Japanese Sonic. <laughs> the new ex- extreme sports fucking cool. Aye. Um, cooler than school radical Sonic guy. Aye. So did this come out before Sonic Adventure? Is this the first outing of Sonic's sort of redesign? Aye. So it was. So if you look at the box, um, like the artwork of this game, you'll see that right away you've got a Sonic Adventure. Sonic, you've got the green eyes, man. You've got the upside down night tick for this cheese on that. Um, <laughs> you've got all the all the usual carry on that you see, even up to nowadays. That's kind of fucking angsty uh, Dragon Ball Z style Sonic on the front. But when you actually play the game, what you're kind of given is a neat bit. I'm not. I know there's already a Sonic to it, but but this is kind of a faithful port, almost a kind of pseudo port of Sonic Two for the Mega Drive. And that it's got um, a lot of the same level themes. There's usually kind of different names and stuff. But I'll leave Mick McCormick to talk about it. Sorry, I'm stealing his thunder here. But aye, <laughs> that's why I picked it. It's weird. It's a weird wee number. Yeah, so I decided to look in a bit to the Neo Geo. It's actually the Neo Geo Pocket Color. There was a Neo Geo Pocket before that, which was monochrome. Aye. So this came out as a, as you say, that it was meant to be a kind of rival to the the Game Boy Color, a wee bit more powerful, not quite as powerful as the the Game Boy Advance was end up being, but I think technically kind of comparable as as you say to the Game Gear. But Aye. it seemed like a quite an impressive Wii console. Like if we're talking pure power, it's not going to set the world on fire. You had the Game Gear, which came out like ten years previous, um, which had similar specs, but this managed to to have that with none of the disadvantages that the Game Gear had. Game Gear, for example, was a portable console, which is fucking massive. Took about eight AA batteries and gave you two hours of gameplay. And it was pretty extortionate at the time when it came out. The Neo Geo Pocket Color wasn't really trying to to be the most powerful handheld to the market. It was trying to compete with the Game Boy Color, which meant decent price point, decent form factor, good battery life. You could run this thing for 40 hours on two AA's, which is pretty amazing. Oh. So I think in, in that regard, it, it succeeded. You know, it was pretty pretty smart-looking system. I'd love to have a wee go one. It had a, a joystick, a kind of eight-direction joystick instead of a D-pad. And the reason for that was because SNK obviously are really focused on fighting games. 
Um, so this was kind of meant to be like a wee tiny mini uh, arcade joystick, and apparently it was apparently really good for fighting games. There was like a weird kind of a game lineup for the Neo Geo Pocket because SNK, I think something like ninety percent, maybe a bit less than that, but a good maybe fucking three or four out of five games were fighting games for the, the original um, Neo Geo. Basically, just a an arcade battled down into a a compact kind of package that you could take game, but. The Neo Geo Pocket kind of was similar in that it had a lot of fighters, but towards the kind of when the Color Band came out, it kind of branched away and had like some shooters and platformers and that. It was a weird wee system, man. Yeah, so initially it came out and it did, it was doing quite well actually, like um, in terms of sales, because it, it was quite cheap to buy. It managed to get like a decent amount of market share, like always like completely dwarfed by the Game Boy Color, because the game, there was Pokemon. On the fucking Game Boy Color, like everyone was like, there's no getting away for that. It's going to be the dominant console. But even like in, in North America, like it actually did okay. Like I think they made some money back for it. And they priced out a little bit trying to get more third party developers to make things that weren't fighting games or Metal Slug. Um, but they didn't quite get the, the same sort of third party support that the Game Boy had. That was, that was, this was a time before there was phones and it was easy to have a wee game in your pocket. Even before Snake Man, remember? Yeah, this was a time where you only really had, like, the old Wayne's only had Pokemon, wasn't it? I mean, maybe a generation that Mick likes, I'm guessing here, is slightly before that, when Game Boy was like a big kind of conglomeration of different games and stuff, different genres. I but, think um, um, a Game Boy sort of set the world on fire in terms of our lifespan, probably around the Game Boy colour era, aye, after Pokemon Red and Blue came out. I think the, the first wave of Game Boy probably when we were a bit too young, you know, like early 90s, late 80s. I think by the time we started playing games, Game Boys were already like an established thing. Yeah, probably around the time of the Game Boy Pocket as well, which was just a Game Boy a bit smaller. Like that came out a good a good f- five or six years or something after the original Game Boy. So I think the, the, the fact that this new thing came out, that wasn't it all about Pokemon. Like Pokemon was the Game Boy for about a year or two, wasn't it? But I think the fact that something came out, um, between that and the Game Boy Advance, that didn't it wasn't all focused on Pokemon, I suppose, and marketed what it was Pokemon. That I suppose that's how it done kind of well in America. It gave like a more mature audience a handheld game in the absence of like, mobile phones and it. Aye, there was maybe a wee gap there. But talking about Sonic Pocket Adventure, I do think this it would have been pretty impressive at the time. But again, I I don't know how well I can review this game like in the the modern era but I'm trying to like put myself in the shoes of somebody that had just bought one of these handhelds you know when when the most powerful thing in the handheld world was the Game Boy Color sticking this on and you've got pretty much Sonic 2 like that's you can basically think of this game as mostly just a remake of Sonic 2 um, on a a handheld system the levels have different names from Sonic 2 but they all follow the same kind of format uh, Green Hill Zone Chemical Plant Zone again the Called, called something different, but that is basically what you're playing. You do have Scrap Brain Zone. That's quite cool. <coughs> ah, yeah, I, 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 yeah, saw, I saw that it, it drops in the odd level for Sonic 1 and Sonic 3, but it mostly I, follows Sonic 2. The, the names aren't that good, but like, <laughs> Scrap Brain Zone... Right, what would you prefer here? Scrap Brain Zone or Gigantic Angel Zone? <laughs> I mean, what ah, the that's, that's, that's evocative, I guess. Gigantic a Angel. A translation kind of... Um, Maybe, maybe it's a reference to Neon Genesis Evangelion. That's what <laughs> I was thinking of, aye. Aye. Uh, the other one's that like, Wing Fortress has been changed to Erebus. 
Aerobase. Aye, the first level was called Neo South Island. Neo Zone. South Island. Secret plant, see the chemical plant. Uh, Cosmic Casino. I did prefer like that one. I did like that one, Cosmic Casino. Aquatic Reef. I thought I said something about what well, acid reflux, but it's Aquatic Relax. <laughs> acid reflux zone. <laughs> so if you've played Sonic on the Game Gear, um, which I, maybe not very many people would have had around this time, but we did. It's not very good, is it? Like it's not. It's not. It's not it's Sonic. Trying, it's trying to be a Sonic game. It's trying to be. A it's Sonic game. they. They just never quite got the speed right. I think is maybe that you don't have that sense of momentum that you Aye. get for Sonic. It's maybe a a kind of generic meandering platformer. I don't know if it would be fair to say. Yeah, Aye, it's not as good. It's not as good control. And like even jumping on boxes, it's got this wee scripted kind of bounce instead of like feeling that you're actually bouncing. That makes any sense. Stuff like that. So I think at that time, maybe Sonic hadn't quite set the world on fire in the way it did. And the developers kind of thought, like, we could, we can kind of get away with having a, a sort of cut down version of a Sonic game on the handheld. That'll, that'll keep folk happy. It doesn't really have to match what people have got on the Mega Drive because it's just, it's just the handheld. Whereas at this point, this was years after Sonic 2 had come out. You've got a new handheld. They want to show off what it can do. People at this point kind of knew what Sonic was all about and they wanted to play like a proper Sonic game on a handheld and this like really delivers with it. It's not got the specs of a Sega Genesis, it was nowhere near as powerful but it really manages to capture, I don't know where the fuck I got that from, <laughs> um, but it really manages to fucking like just capture the feel of Sonic 2. But amazingly you get, you get the kind of speed there, you've got... The colours, the kind of look and feel, again, cut cut down, but the, the, the way the camera moves, the way the enemies behave, like all Aye. the kind of loops and yep. um, stuff like that, it's like, it's it does really, it feels really good to play. It's got a physics engine, don't it? Aye. Um, it, feel, but, the, it feels good. The, the physics does feel good. The physics feels, it feels like Sonic. It feels like Sonic. feels like Sonic. This was the last game, the last 2D game, that Yuji Naka, the creator of Sonic, the Sonic engine, the movement engine. Um, and everything else really this was the last game that he supervised and never programmed it, it wasn't a main programmer or a co-programmer it was a supervisor so he was the last he had to say yes to us so I can imagine what he put his cunts through apparently Janaka was like a pure like, fucking take no prisoners fucking no I need to sleep until it's done and all that imagine <laughs> what he was like making this game because he had to okay it I don't think he's the only Japanese games designer with that kind of mentality. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he kind of overseen it all, but it was really a, a kind of B team uh, that made it um, a kind of a Sonic B team who later went on to form, or a few members of them later went on to form the company Dimps, who made uh, Sonic Advance. Uh, and you can kind of see in a, a wee bit how this is a kind of predecessor of Sonic Advance, which I might go into later. But it's not just Sonic 2. It's got a wee... A few wee elements of other games uh, in there. So, like, the music, for example, um, is a 8-bit sort of mishmash of a few different Sonic games. And, like, kind of weirdly out of place uh, as well. So, like, you're playing what looks like Emerald Hill Zone. But in the first stage, there's some music for Sonic Jam. In the second stage, you've got the Angel Island Zone theme. Completely different tune. Not like what you usually get in Sonic, where you've got... Levels 1 and 2 are kind of slight variations in each other, but yeah, the music completely changes from one thing to the next. And you've got, like, just a few kind of greatest hits of 2D Sonic. Like, you can tell the developers really did love the series and want to, like, pay kind of homage to different bits and pieces of it. So, like, in 
in the second stage of the of the first zone, you've got that kind of pipe, 3D almost sort of pipe thing that you had in Sonic CD, where like Sonic runs up at you and kind of see you above his head, like he's kind of like going, ah, uh, he's yeah, running up, plane. Uh, he's kind of running up the way. You get that, which I mean could have been quite difficult to. Um, to achieve on a handheld. I think what, what they said, I, I, I think it was a magazine article, I can't remember. I've just been ages since I've put uh, stuff out about this game, but the way it made it out was that at the time Sonic was drifting towards 3D and 2D was dead and all that, and, but this was kind of attributed to be like, right, don't forget how good Sonic can be, he's a 2D game before he's totally disappear. And this was, a, this was a, the, the result, it was like, don't forget Sonic and 2D is one of the best games of all time. And this was like the final, like, don't... Don't forget, always come back. <laughs> I it it's kind of like the last Sonic game that that acknowledged that the the Mega Drive ones existed for a while. Like once you had Sonic Adventure, that was the kind of new the new hotness. Like everything that came out after that until like, Sonic Generations was kind of like a sequel to Sonic Adventure. It wasn't a sequel to Sonic One, Two, and Three. This one is a bit of a it's in a, a kind of strange transition. Like what I kind of think might have happened is that the developers really wanted to make Sonic Two, but the marketers were saying, "Right, Adventure is the cool thing now." Sonic Adventure came out last year. You need some sort of connectivity between that and in this game. So while the game looks pretty much exactly like Sonic Two, there's a few wee bits where all of a sudden he he looks like his new form, his new fucking. Radical redesign with the green eyes and the long quills and that. Like on the title screen, that's what Sonic looks like. In some animations, only a couple of frames of animation looks like that. But in everything else, it looks like he's in Sonic 2. Which kind of makes me think that that's been a, maybe a wee bit of meddling what? to be like, you need to, you need to kind of like pay some, uh, I think that <laughs> you need to pay sense. some tribute to this. I think that definitely makes sense because it never came out in Europe until year 2000, the 25th of. Uh, February 2000, man. I mean, the last, believe it or not, this is true, by the way, the last um, handheld Sonic game was Sonic Jam for the TigerGame.com. I don't know if you've heard <laughs> about that, man, but it's like no, one of the worst fucking systems of all time. Um, horrible, horrible, horrible. So I think to have the last 2D Sonic game before the, just the pure shift to 3D, to be that Sonic Jam for the Game.com, Thank God this came out, I suppose, because it opened the door to advanced games and stuff, I suppose. Aye, would have been a bit of a, a sad end. Um, <laughs> in terms of the way this game looks, that kind of jumped out to me. And I've actually noticed this in a few other of the Neo Geo Pocket Colour games, is that the backgrounds are quite detailed and kind of shaded um, quite a lot of colours. But in the foreground, the sprites actually have like very few colours in them. It's like kind of cartoony sort of look, which mm. works really well. I think it, I think it looks pretty cool. It's quite it's quite distinctive, and there's possibly two reasons for this. The boring reason would be that this is a kind of just limitation of how the sprites work on the new Geo Color. But what I'm guessing is this was a console that didn't have a backlight. Right, ah, right, right, okay, right. And you've yeah. mentioned this before that like right. it, it's possible that I think they've they've kept the sort of colours. In the bo- the kind of bold colours and lines um, of the sprites as like simple as possible, so that you can that, kind of see them even when the screen's dark. That makes um, sense because Nintendo done the same thing. They told other first and third party developers to make the palette as bright as possible, so that it could be seen essentially because there was no backlight until much later. Aye, so you've got the very kind of the very cartoony sprites, but in the background it's more like a kind of 
painterly sort of like shaded uh, look so they kind of really they really stand out when things are kind of moving quite quickly and you see that I played a few other Neo Geo Pocket Color games just out of curiosity like they've got a version of Bubble Bobble on there um, which is really good Metal Slug which is good as well oh. and that's that's quite an impressive one as well how they've managed to kind of jam Metal Slug down one of the most Fuck like sake. detailed fucking slug. yeah detailed fucking um, 16-bit games that they ever come out but they've done a half-decent job at it but yeah, it's, I, I was just kind of interested in the kind of like how they got around this sort of technical uh, limitation of the graphics. As a 2D Sonic game, it's like, I mean, it's, it's, it's good fun. It's it's a wee bit easier maybe um, than some of the, the Mega Drive games. Like, I managed to complete it in pretty much one go. I don't know if that means it's easier. It means I've played far too much Sonic in my life. Um, yeah, but it's not too difficult and I gave Sonic Advance another go and um, maybe the same folk and that's actually it's, it's actually kind of the same like the the level design is is pretty similar it's not it's, that's not a particularly hard game either but I think the thing it does kind of suffer for is that because it's just trying to be like a sort of greatest hits of 1, 2 and 3 it doesn't really have much of its own identity like it doesn't exactly, really yeah. do it's a spin off as fuck right? it doesn't really do anything that you've not seen before in a but Sonic a game, hits album, a greatest hits album. Aye, exactly. In yeah. what I'm doing. Yeah, so it's kind of hard to recommend to somebody to play this today, and like if if they're really chosen to play a Sonic game, because you'd be like, well, just play Sonic Two or some of like that. But I do think if you know if if you had a Neo Geo Pocket Color, this would have been mind blowing. <laughs> like you, there would have been nothing, nothing comparable to this. I think the recommendation. Depends on probably how deep of a fucking Sonic loser you are. Like if you're fucking, <laughs> if you're as if, if you're as into this shit as Andy is, you've got to look at it. Whereas I'm if you're a casual fan, maybe no. <laughs> I'm definitely more Hector McNeil's deep end than Waterfront deep end in that regard, man. <laughs> I if you're ready to jump off a diving board <laughs> into the depths of Sonic history, I mean, yeah, that's that's what I would say. Like, there's it's it's good, but. It's probably more interesting as a a kind of artifact of like Sonic history if you if you give a fuck about that like us sad acts then ah, th- than a, a kind of game like it stands on its own. I I suppose there's no real fucking not many people uh, normal people that are the fucking pure freaks that like, love Sonic wouldn't they get a chance to play like Sonic One and Two for the Master System or whatever. But um, you could do worse than play this game as a kind of example of what Sonic was on the handhelds, man, because uh, the movement and it moves like Sonic. It feels like Sonic. So I, I'd probably... This is the point before they started adding all things on, like grinding and like all this mad sports stuff and an extra button to do a somersault and all that. This is just Sonic. Yeah, and you can tell that by their next game, like Sonic Advance, like on the Game Boy Advance, they definitely kind of branched out there um, and tried to... Today their own thing a wee bit, like try and incorporate some of the elements you'd seen for the Dreamcast games back into the the sort of two D formula. So you've got like you know Amy Rose playable, you've got Knuckles yeah, that can punch and, and stuff like that. You've got the radical fucking soap shoes grinding stuff in there as well. But like at that point, that, that that's kind of the the sort of like dividing line between one era of Sonic and the next. Like there was kind of no going back after that. I sits right on the precipice. I <laughs> pretty much no return. This is uh, the precipice of which Sonic has never returned from that abyss. Pretty yeah. much, eh? Apart from Sonic Mania. Yeah. So overall, 
you don't need to go and, like, I'll give you a pass, you don't need to go and download this one, really, if you don't want to. But if you're in CEX, if you're in CEX and you maybe come across a, a Neo Geo Pocket Colour for a, a bargain, as if you ever get a bargain in that fucking shop, then <laughs> um, this might be one um, to have a wee basher for on the console itself. Um, is Knuckles in this? Ah, yes, yes, that, yes. He's a bad Oh, fuck. I forgot about that. Yeah, that, that, that it kind of brings that bit back, actually, for, for Sonic 3 and Knuckles. Three Knuckles. Um, and you have a wee fight with him. That bit's pretty cool. I, I totally forgot to write that down. It's got that. Uh, it's go. got a doomsday in it. The doomsday bit. See that cliched bit now where you're in space? It wasn't a cliched at the time, but you're in space and you're chasing uh, Robotnik with a Master Emerald. Aye. as well. Yeah, it does have that if you get all the emeralds. Our policy is uh, no knuckles, no party, but there you go, it's got knuckles in it. <laughs> so you see you want to play a Sonic game and you've not played but a Sonic game in ages and you say I want to play a pure obscure one just for a laugh, play Pocket Adventure, something different. Aye, let's leave it at that. Mick, why did you pick... No, I, I kind of... I'm, I'm asking a question that I, I, I already know the answer to here and I, I think some of the eagle-eared listeners will as well, knowing that you you grew up with the, the Game Gear, but... Um, you picked for me Golden Axe Axe Battler for the Game Gear. So why that system? Why that game? That system because I had one growing up. It doesn't get very much love, probably for like you know understandable and <laughs> like true reasons. Because it's not a fucking an old time classic console. Do you remember the advert before you go on? Do you remember the advert that terrified advert with the wee guy? It was like a road safety advert. And then you guys crossing the road with his Game Boy, and the road becomes sentient and runs him over. <laughs> Do you remember this? What, was that for the for the Game Gear? It was like stop, look, and listen. No, it was like a road safety advert, like a green cross code. Thing. Oh. <laughs> it's fucking terrifying. Iconic. Anybody I can remember it very well, and it was really really scary. But the Game Boy was all smashed up at the end. It. It would be good to promote the Game Gear for road safety because there's no way you were fucking crossing the road playing this because you had to sit where it plugged into the wall as we've <laughs> said every time <laughs> very true well for one reason the, the backlight was so bright that like, any driver would be able to see you for miles <laughs> off and also you probably couldn't get halfway across the street without the batteries running it so yeah that's uh, Sega 1 <laughs> Nintendo 0 for road safety Um <laughs> I had a Game Gear growing up, played it quite a, quite a lot um, on, on car journeys and stuff, uh, under two hours uh, car journeys, and yeah, I had a lot of games that I had I look back on with quite a lot of fondness, even though, you know, objectively they're, they're probably not amazing, but I, one of these ones was, was Axe Battler, which at the time I'd kind of never seen anything like, because it kind of... It took genres of games that were, I was familiar with, like platformers, fighting games, RPGs, kind of mashed them all up and into like a, a strange combination um, that I'd never seen before. And I thought it was quite interesting and it intrigued me. I never get super far in it, um, as a way for reasons we'll probably explore. And also didn't realise that this formula was nothing new because it was just Zelda 2. Um, <laughs> but I did have some fondness for it, so... When Mick was kind of like saying that we should maybe do an episode about handheld games, I kept thinking of handheld games and like it or not, my brain just kept circling back towards Axe Battler. So yeah, I figured I have to I had to get Mick to to give it a go and kind of exercise that demon from my brain and also exercise the demon of uh, the mighty Golden Axe, um, the game that we don't talk about anymore. <laughs> um, he's ready. Yes. Oof. Snake Golden Axe. 
As Mick said, it's a rip-off of if you ever played Zelda 2 on a Nintendo, it seems to be pretty inspired by that. And that struck me as interesting right off the bat because on the Master System, there is a game called Golden Axe Warrior that is a rip-off of Zelda 1, which is completely top-down and you run about with a sword, exploring dungeons and stuff like that. The way Golden Axe Warrior and Zelda 2 both kind of work... But Golden Axe Warrior actually is... It's different in some ways in its presentation anyway. So Golden Axe Warrior, you start off and you're presented... It looks like an old Final Fantasy game or Dragon Quest or something like that. Aye. It looks like a top-down 8-bit RPG game where, you know, you wander about tunes, uh, talk to NPCs, walk across your, your world map and stuff. But it actually transitions, rather, between two graphical styles. So you've got that top-down JRPG-looking style, and then when you get into a random battle, or when you enter a dungeon, it changes into this side-on, you've got a bigger, more detailed sprite. It looks pretty nice, you know, the... The Game Gear was, was no slouch when it came to the graphics, to be fair. I almost like a beat-em-up or a Street Fighter sort of thing, it looks like it turns into... Yeah, so your random battles, air quotes, when you're you're walking about the world map, you go into a one-on-one fight with a different opponent, with a weapon, um, and it'll just be 1v1, you fight them, and it uses the same style for if you go into a dungeon, which is a kind of platformer section where... You'll traverse a dungeon. You've still got your sword and that, and you can use magic and stuff, but uh, like it becomes maybe a platformer. It, I think I would quite enjoy that. Like, um, kind of, like, here we go, mentioning my fucking cliches again. Like, in Shemu, where if you hit um, an enemy, then it's a fight, an actual one on one fight rather than a turn based battle. Quite intriguing, quite good idea type of thing. Well, one thing off the bat that you will find frustrating when you start playing this. It actually is something that gets better if you've played the game for a while when you're towards the end of it. But when you're in these battle sections, they actually flow pretty well. You know, you're swinging your sword doesn't feel too bad. It's pretty responsive. You can watch the enemies and sort of figure out their patterns. All the enemies will have a health bar and they'll take multiple hits to beat. You've also got a health bar. But for some reason, when the enemy hits you once... It takes half a wee bit of health, and then you just automatically get quit out the battle. It just sort of makes wandering about the world map then these battles quite frustrating and pointless. Like it's a you bit know, weird. <laughs> if you try to beat an enemy a couple of times, like the Amazons at the start are quite hard, and you know you maybe get one, and she's only needing one hit to to get bet, and you're still on full health, and she hits you once, and it just snatches the victory from you. Like you're fucking, it, it gets pretty annoying. It's strange. My guess is that they included this because people were walking across the world map to get from like a town to a dungeon, getting in a fight and just getting killed, and that that was them done. So maybe they decided like, well, you can maybe survive a couple of fights before you make it to your destination. But it's not a very satisfying way of fixing that problem because, as you say, it just feels like, why is this fight over? Like they're not dead. I'm not dead. Like I still, <laughs> I'm fucking, I'm still here. I can still fucking batter you. That's part of the problem that me, yourself, my comic, and me, we didn't really, we only really Nintendo guys, were we? So we didn't really know about uh, Zelda Two. Well, a lot of people don't. Zelda Two is a fucking obscurity. It's the only Zelda game that plays like that. They kind of stuck with the, the tried and tested formula for a reason. Folk didn't really like Zelda 2. I, I think now it's sort of quite popular for, 
you know, people to go back and make video essays on it and say, oh, look, it was misunderstood or it's actually quite good. An anomaly. I think people at the time weren't really mad for it. Yeah, it brought in a lot of things to the Zelda series that just never come back. Oh, and, and Zelda 2, unlike Axe Battler, um, you actually get fucking experience points and level up. So Zelda 2 flies closer to a lot of standard RPG mechanics than ah, right. a, a lot of other Zeldas ever have. Well, Axe Battler's just like you're fighting, but you're not really getting any rewards for your battles or stuff. It kind of half does it. It kind of half arses that, that so, part. I actually don't mind how they solve this. See, the battles, by the end of the game, I quite like that element of it because every time you get a new tune, there's like a, a master, a move tutor guy who will teach you, you know, like a, a kneeling power attack or a jumping power attack. or It teaches you basically a couple of different moves that are more powerful attacks that you can use to win fights more easily. So you do feel as if you get stronger as the game goes along. And that also kind of takes care of the, you know, a battle automatically ends when you die in one hit. Uh, you, you, rather, you get quit out in one hit because I found that I was able to, to win most battles by the time I had all the powers without getting hit. It's the, the dungeons are the fucking problem with this game, man. They're ah. shit. They're bad. Yeah. Game never dies by its dungeons. As a 2D fighter, like as you say, as you get more powers, it's alright, but as a platformer, it's just not very good. The platforming mechanics, the way he jumps and attacks are not that smooth. The baddies are just cheap cheap bastards most of the time. I'm looking at Axe Battler here, and it's kind of mental, but alright, his one-on-one screen, his 2D kind of fighting screen looks a bit, a wee tiny bit like him, not much, but the... Kind of like stock JRPG guy that walks about the fields. That doesn't look like Spartler, he's too fat. I, it looks like the wee guy out of Dragon Quest. Ah, <laughs> he's even got the yeah. stupid wee wings on his helmet, man. I think it's, it seems like a pretty deliberate <laughs> fucking ripoff. He's got the worst walk animation I've ever seen. <laughs> you know what I mean? Axe, like, Axe Waddler. He, aye. Yeah, he's, he's a wee kind of penguin waddle he does about the map. <laughs> so in these, in these dungeons, your movements are quite slow and awkward. The jump kind of works when, you know, it's a... You're thinking it's a sword fight, it's a big slog, you're slashing fuck at each other, you're fighting to the death. It does they work so well in a, a dedicated kind of platform nah. section where you've got to do, like, perfect jumps and things like that. Also, I found the enemy patterns in this are, are fucking erratic as fuck. They oh, don't... No. Oh, no. They don't really conform to anything, and I Andy, the, the bats will fucking get you. Oh, there are just yeah. constant bats flying at you that you've not really got a hope in hell of hitting. It's usually skeletons in any Golden Axe games to in it. I well, didn't struggle too much with the, the bats. The ones I didn't like were the ghosts. So you get these ghosts that are they're kind of transparent, and you can't hit them until they, they go solid and they kind of swoop down at you. But... There doesn't seem to be any like rhyme or reason as to when they're going to do that. So you've you've never it always catches you off guard. You've never got time to like, actually try and kill them. I'm guessing there's name name outs. Well, th- th- this game does something quite horrible, um, <laughs> in my opinion, because you go to one of the tunes and you can see a wee ranch that's got some mounts in it. You know the wee the weird ah, kind of pink pink kings. They're in all the pink with the beaks. Aye, what are these weird? You see them, and you can talk to them. You can't amount them. Oh, man, that's what they were born for. That's what they're bred for. They're bred to have a perfect back. I know. They must be, they must be just so depressed knowing that they can't be mounted. 
I've okay. I've got to admit that was this was a later point in my notes, but I liked that. Know that you couldn't <laughs> mount, know that you couldn't mount them, but I liked the wee bit of fan service of. Oh, remember these weird fucking pink kings? <laughs> this this cunt's got a farm full of them. There's a bit of fan service as well where you um you've got the turtle, the island that turns out to be a turtle. You've got the turtles back, ah. and you've also got the you've got the eagles back. You got a couple of famous set pieces for the arcade game, and you also got a wee kind of lore drop about. How oh this this town is fabled to be on the back of a turtle, but it's kind of no really. And then you get a crystal or something, and the turtle rises out the water. And you're the like, whole ah, the world's a turtle cool. thing. That sounds like a David Icke's conspiracy theory. That the world is a turtle. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's for Terry Pratchett. A Terry Pratchett, aye. <laughs> See, well, he I'm sure he gets most of his ideas for fucking fiction. I like I like Terry Pratchett a lot more than David Icke. Let's leave it at that. <laughs> You've also got a couple of your. Um, your iconic baddies. You've got the skeletons. You've got the big baldy hammer cunts. You know, with the, the handlebar moustaches. Why? <laughs> um, guys that you, look like you, they spend a lot of time hanging out at saunas. <laughs> yes. Oh, um, so you, you've got a few things like that. You had the turtle back place, you had the eagle back place in, in the mount. So I, I like that wee bit of... Just a, a small bit of world building that kind of tied it into the... The Golden Axe nostalgia of the, of the whole thing because you can see both sides. I, I mean that that can be lacking in places in this. But t- to go back to the dungeons, man, you've only got three crappy wee health bars. I think two hits and you lose one. I I don't know, but without save states, um, I don't think I could have been bothered to complete this. Do you not get the creepy wee guys with the bags that you boot up the ass? Nah. Do 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 do. As you're defeating the baddies in the the field, you don't get any experience or level ups or anything, you get magic vases, there's like a vase based economy in this world, which is weird, you pay for it, stays at the end with vases, but you can also use it for magic, um, which kind of like clears the screen of baddies but I kind of found it to be more hassle than it's worth really, like spending the time like building up your vases I didn't use Don't the magic, do any opportunities <laughs> to use them at all, yeah and it's, it, it's like the three types of magic that you can get in, in Golden Axe like, uh, was it fire wind and earth or something but they just rubbish the screen just flashes a colour for a wee bit and then that's you done you don't get dragons flying down or anything cool like that they could have probably fixed the dungeons to an extent if there was I don't know a healing spell maybe that would give you maybe a reason to pick up vases or if you could if you could gain more health through level ups um, something along those lines but I, I found them too much of a slog where with how sort of fragile your your main character is. And as I say, if I wasn't using the old save load, I, I wouldn't have finished this. Mick had the, the game. Uh, Mick had this game for the Game Gear, I think you mentioned already. And um, he had the case and on the artwork. And I've got to say, man, the artwork is quite special for Axe Battle. I quite like it. It's basically trying to take out a big hippogriff thing out the sky where like, a big... Fucking spear with a fucking sword on it, looking Aryan as fuck. And uh, <laughs> it kind of looks like, um, it kind of looks like, is He Man into it? Just He Man. Aye, I'll shout out for the artwork. It's just, it's a shame that when you actually play a game, it turns into uh, like a fat wee donut fan. <laughs> I remember the artwork looking pretty cool, yeah, it's quite, it's quite fucking evocative. It's a bit like uh, Ghosts and Ghosts. It was common at the time that sort of. You had to use your imagination a wee bit more. Like if you were, you know, you were playing Final Fantasy Four and your main character is it Cecil Cecil, 
is this kind of cool dark night cunt. You know when you get into a, a random battle, when you get into your fights, it looked like this cool dark night. And then on the overworld, they just kind of looked like this weekend a cartoony blob man. Um, I think <laughs> to an extent, you're to use your imagination with a bits to kind of to catch up with the graphical limitations of the time. Can we talk about how? Is this the axe issue? The, yeah, the, the the elephant axe in the room. Axe Battler is maybe the only cunt in the entire Golden Axe universe that doesn't fight with an axe. <laughs> oh man, that's true. So what, make any sense? So what I kind of gathered because me, me and Mick were trying to like kind of tease this one out. So you play this game called Golden Axe, right? And you think, right? So I'm going to go the cunt with the axe. The go the cunt with the golden axe. That must be Axe Battler. No, Axe Battler, he, he's got a sword, actually. He's, he's the guy that carries a sword. Common misconception. There is a golden axe in this game. Gilly's Thunderhead carries oh, an axe. He, he carries an axe, and it's golden. In the original arcade game, Gilly's has got a golden axe. And then in the Sega game that we all grew up with, Gilly's axe is no steel. Hence... So Gilly's <laughs> has an axe that's golden, but that's not the golden axe. The Golden Axe is carried by Death Adder. Aye, but that, aye. despite its name, is the Golden. It's bronze. You fight him in that one, that amazing fucking one you gave me for it. Uh, it was meant to be for a certain game, but it was just. Aye, the sequel. Game. Aye, the sequel. He's got a Golden Axe at the end of that. Aye, finally. It's fucking amazing. That game. I'm not going <laughs> to play it. I'm not playing In Golden Axe Warrior, the Master System Golden Axe Zelda Ripwrath, which I, I like a wee bit better than this one. Again, in that, I think you play as Axe Battler, but the whole conceit of that game is that you need to collect, like, fucking, I don't know, like eight mystical gems or something like that. But once you've got them, they unlock the Golden Axe, which you then get to wield to kill the final fucking boss. You know, they, that they makes treat, a lot more sense. Yeah, they, they treat the golden axe as if it's like the master sword, right. which when the game is named after an axe, you want a shot of the fucking axe. It's, it's Chekhov's axe, man. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I think we should kind of conceptualise the golden axe a bit more if they make a new one, which hopefully they don't ever. You don't even get to see it in Axe Battler. There's no fight with Death Adder at the end. Um, Did you say Death Adder's just kind of cutting about the world? Quite confusingly, I Death Adder is the... There's maybe only, in terms of your one-on-one battles, there's maybe only six or seven different variants of that, and the most powerful one is Death Adder. So when you're near the final dungeon, you fight just Death Adders. Like, I don't know if he's got clones running about or whatever. To get the last power in the last tune, you need to fight Death Adder. I quite like that because, you know, usually when there's a villain in a game... He's content with just like sitting in his castle and like waiting on you arriving. But Death Adder just goes, you know what, fuck it, I'm just going to go out in the world and cause a bit of mayhem. He's getting out and putting the work in. Aye, exactly. Um, so he, the, the best uh, villains never really need an excuse, do they? Just not yeah. going out there and doing it. You get to the end of Death Adder's castle and then you pretty much, the screen just goes black and then you, you get text boxes that just tell you what's happening. That Axe Battler's vision fades, but he keeps the heed and he slashes and he manages to kill Death Adder. And then it says that you've retrieved the, the magical golden axe. And then you, you, <laughs> you, you get on an eagle, and then the credits roll as you fly about the world and you see him look waving to all the different characters. But again, he's, he's still not holding the axe. You don't get to see the fucking thing. 
Where's the axe? <laughs> I was reading a. It was like uh, Warren Spector, the guy that made DSX, talking about games, and he said you should never, when you're writing a game, never have the cool stuff happen when the player is not in control. Like the player needs to do the cool thing. They can't just be told that the player did the good, the cool thing. Right, right. <laughs> Which like so many games get wrong. <laughs> like yeah, so many games have like the fucking most badass parts happening in the cutscene. He's like, why, why could I not do that? Aye, I, I know what you mean. I know what you mean by that. It's, you see that quite a lot, don't you? Imagine you get a seven chaos emeralds and trying not to bring Sonic into it. I was like, but it gives you, you know, maybe you got an extra slide in the ending where. Sonic turns into Super Sonic and you know defeats Doctor Robotnik for once, once and for all, or whatever. I mean, that's that's a lot less impactful than letting you feel what it's like to be fucking Super Sonic, or you know, putting your space zone that you're so fond of at the end. Then, <laughs> <laughs> right. just give us the fucking axe. That, give us the axe. You've got to be able to use the axe, haven't you? I mean, that's, I get your point. I mean, you want to use the axe. That's part of one of the best things about it. it could be like New Game Plus, where now you get to play the game with the golden axe. It never happened, you know. So I can't remember my source on this, right? And I'm, I feel like I must have been making it up, but I, I was sure that I was reading somewhere. If any listener can put me right on this, that they were planning three different Golden Axe spin-offs, and one of them was going to focus on Tyrus Flare, one of them was going to focus on Gilius Thunderheed, and this was the Axe Battler one. But they only ended up actually making the Axe Battler one. As I was typing my notes earlier, I was looking for any sort of info on this. I I just couldn't find it. So I was like, did yeah, maybe yeah, I just wishful, wishful thinking. Was, I, was I speculating? I don't know. Um <laughs> I mean, I imagine the Gilly's Thunderhead game is like ninety percent just like uh, going to the pub, um like talk, talking to people, causing chaos. Um maybe ten percent is an epic quest for the Golden Axe. Who actually plays as Axe Battler in the original Golden Axe. There are two types of people. People that play as a dwarf and people that play as a bird. <laughs> they, they fucking play as Axe Battler. I think <laughs> the, the, the people that play Axe Battler become the leaders of major political parties. Well, you had the same thing in the Streets of Rage day, which was... Uh, nobody really went Axel, did they? Nah. Well... Because nah, he had that shite kick when he kicked behind them, which was weird. Default. Default, are you talking? Are you talking one or two? One. One. The mega game. Oh... No, you're probably right. In, in one, I would have, I would have skewed towards Adam, but in two, uh, I do play as Axel. All right. Can nearly beat the game on very hard mode, but only if I'm playing as Axel because you get your along along B bare knuckle uppercut move that I just exploit fuck her. I'm merely a skate man because of the obvious. He's got a pair of skates on. Really like good. They're not quite soap shoes, but they're nearly as cool. Very <laughs> <laughs> interesting. Um, very better. <laughs> so. I mean, is Axe Battler a recommendation for this Speed Rattler? No. <laughs> <laughs> Again, maybe a wee bit like Sonic Neo Geo Pocket, whatever the fuck. If you are some sort of Golden Axe super fan and you've no looked at it, give it a go. If you like the sound, what I've been describing, but you would like to play something a wee bit more player friendly and competent look at Zelda 2 is <laughs> as, as maybe what I would say well I might have a wee surprise for you I might have a wee surprise for you um, <laughs> oh at the no end of the episode <laughs> that might, might give you a third option of a Zelda 2 and this 
But um, aye, since you said uh, this is the this isn't a bead rattler choice. Uh, sales of Axe Butler have just went <laughs> through the roof and government. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, ya cunts. Ha-ha-ha. It was it was just in my heat because it it rhymed with Axe Butler. Right, so are we going to move on to a handheld game that isn't an inferior ripoff of an existing um, home console game? Aye, why not? I've gone for a wee bit more a, a vanilla system. I've I've gone for the Game Boy Color, which. You know, this was kind of the one that every cunt had. You had your Pokemon craze, and everybody started getting these Game Boys, Game Boy Colours. The game I've picked, however, actually doesn't take me back to my actually playing the Game Boy Colour days, but on to the early days of emulation. My cousin had Pokemon Gold and Silver. I remember he had ROMs of them before they actually properly came out. And I remember I would go to his house. I can't remember if they properly worked or whatever, but we would just fuck about with them and we'd look at them. But on the, the Game Boy ROM site he would go on, there was this fucking thing, uh, Survival Kids. I think it was a weird right. hack cool. where the monkey was turned into Pikachu as well. So it, anyway, <laughs> ah, right. this game has always stuck with me just because it's got a, a lot of mixtures of things that weren't they so common at the time, but no, can't fucking imagine games without them. Um, it's got crafting, it's got survival mechanics. You know, you've got to eat, you've got to find shelter. You can make weapons and tools out of things you find lying about. It seems like every fucking game is doing this now. Whereas fucking survival kids or stranded kids, we should be saying, because that was the the name in Europe. I mean, that came out in around about the same time as. Pokemon Gold and that, it was like 1999. But yeah, it's a, a weird wee mixture of fucking, I don't know, maybe it's got a bit of the 2D Zelda, it's got a bit of the Harvest Moon here, it's got these survival mechanics. For whatever reason, it's it's always been one that stuck with me, and I, I thought Andy would be an interesting one to, to take a look at it. Aye, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely not conventional. Anyway, when you play this game, you see it right away. Well, it gives you a wee story about how he lost these folks and that. Uh, the main character is, I don't know if the main character's got a name is he you can name him him or her I went in the wee lassie but I don't want I picked the lassie in. as well I, I thought the lassie sprite was cooler uh, yeah it's uh, a wee boy or lassie you can name them yourself they're on an adventure with their their dad um, they loved exploring the world and then their ship got caught in a storm you get stranded on uh, a wee island and then you just get to survive or, or try and escape die Aye. As soon as you play a game, it looks like a tap-down RPG. Funny enough, it doesn't look a million miles away. If you had Spatler, the Bingman sections, the tap-down sections, um, I guess there wasn't much, many other options to have for a game like this, but this game kind of looks like a top-down RPG, but it's not at all. This game is completely original, I suppose, because it doesn't have an A to B formula. There's no way to complete. There's no levels. There's no like you've got to fulfil obligations to get a next bit. Um, as objectives or anything like that. <laughs> um, I'm sorry to piss on your bonfire here. It does have all those things. Does it? To an extent, aye. When I was playing it, it seemed like a big, I'll tell you my thoughts. When I was playing it, automatically, right, it opens with a puzzle. So you're stuck on uh, the beach and you've got to find your backpack and stuff, which then allows you to get an expert, get a weapon equipped and all that. And I made it past a few screens. I got the just it, like, right, all right. You've got to keep yourself alive by eating. Um, and you can do this by hunting, or you can do it by like, picking um, mushrooms. You can forage, uh, you can right. fish, uh, and you, you can hunt, aye. Exactly. So right away I'm thinking, right, this is a survival game. I've got to stay alive. 
Um, done it before like, with No Man's Sky. Is, um, so I, I kind of knew, right, I've got to eat and I've got to obviously keep finding a water source and I've probably got to sleep as well. So, yep, I found a wee tent and you can sleep and you can move on to the next day. You can save and all that. It's a wee safe space. So the game for me when I was playing it was like, right, this isn't going to have much of a direction. I've just got to kind of create your own experience to a certain extent. So I fucked about in the first like, maybe four or five screens just going run and run, learning how to build a fire. Learning how Aye. my item screen worked, going exploring and wee caves and stuff like that, and just trying to get it done. I, I found it quite difficult to to understand how the items worked, like the the combining system it's got, whereby you can combine like things to make like a fishing rod, or you can combine things to make a fire, um, things like that. Um, I, I found it quite hard to get my head around it. I, I find this like in our games too, where like, the combining system sometimes throws me off a wee bit. But once I got the basics, you know, I was like building fires, I was um, killing my dinner, I was cooking my dinner, um, staying alive, doing pretty well, um, and then going to sleep, going to the next day, and doing the same again. It feels pretty good once you find the hut, so you're like, right, I've got my place to sleep, then you, you take a wee wander, not too far from it, there's like a source of water, so you can fill up your canteen, and then once you work out how to get a source of food as well, it gives you a wee bit of a sense of security. It feels pretty good. You're like, ah, right. I, I've got my basic amenities taken care of here. I'm, I can I can breathe a wee bit. I came a bit of a shite bag and that I didn't want to venture too far away from my hut. Aye. No, I, so I get was, that as well. If you <laughs> so get murdered by a fucking Jaguar too many times, you become a bit like fearful of uh, <laughs> <laughs> running away from your home. Or like so, a, a swarm of bees or something that you've aggravated. Aye. So I was like, I'll sit here and I'll wait in my hut. One thing I did like, it kind of blew me away, because I'm a fucking weirdo, was when you picked up the meat, and if you went to sleep with meat in your pocket, you woke up and it was rotten. It was Aye. Rotten, meat, rotten beef and all that, rotten meat. And uh, I thought that was pretty funny, man. Because if you eat that, you can then change your status, which makes you die faster. <laughs> you can poison yourself, or you can give yourself like, food poisoning, and that'll make your thing go down faster, which will make you even more apprehensive to move over too many screens, I found. Andy is like na- very naturally curious when it comes to things. I just didn't eat the rotten meat, because no, I thought that's, that's going to make me sick. <laughs> Threw it away immediately. I was like... I was like <laughs> <laughs> no, um, no, I thought... Maybe this will give you like a special status or something, but nah. Aye, certainly Ill. special, alright. <laughs> so the game, to its credit, it gives you a quite a big playground to mess about in, and it doesn't really hold your hand. You get a couple of wee hints when you go to sleep. When the kid wakes up, they'll say basically what your current objective should be. So, as I understand right. it, the the game it kind of shepherds you to find in the batteries to put in the radio and then you you go to your bed and you get a radio broadcast saying look we're not looking for survivors for that boat crash anymore so then it becomes oh "Oh, shit right i need to build a raft then when you build a raft and try to get away for the island it just gets taken in by the tide again and you end up at a different bit of the island and that's when a kind of bigger game starts where you need to find ah. these mad gems and they unlock a different boat. And I think that's how you, you truly escape for the island. But there's a load of different endings in this. I was talking to Mick um, about this game like, on the fly and I was saying, if tell me like 100 days you can get like a, a real ending. And I was thinking, Aye. myself, could you just have those first four screens um, that I was very stuck on and, and get a, a legitimate ending? And he said, Aye. yes, you can. You can actually just if get you, an ending like that. If you survive 100 days, the Wayne goes like, ah, oh, fuck it, do you know what I mean? Maybe I'll just live in the island. 
Do you know what confused me about uh, one of the puzzles? And this is like very early in the game. You get this bit at the the water, and then uh, you can jump on like, these leaves. Them kind of the cliche leaves that are on water in the movie, the boats. I've sat it up for about fucking three quarters of an hour. Ah, uh, you can't do anything there. Can't use a walkthrough. Yeah, it's only when you've been to the other bit of the island. So after the raft has crashed. Then you can come through that bit and get back to your original bit of the island ah, and look about right, there again. Okay. So I, I kind of thought that might be the case because those wee, like, um, what you call it, those kind of big, big leafs you can kind of like float around on, but they just lily take pads. you back to aye, lily pads that they, they just take you back to where you started. So I kind of floated about there for a wee while and was like, nah, I'm just going to kind of come back to this. All you need there is a big stick. Yeah, I got the big stick and I was like, okay, I've probably seen all I need to see here. But I liked that that kind of. The fact the objectives are not super clear, and the fact that, as you said, there's kind of multiple endings, it kind of made me, like, not really sure where where the game was going to go, and it made it feel less linear to me. I felt like I didn't really... I hadn't really reached the limits of, of what I could do. And Aye, me too. Maybe, maybe when you get towards the end of the game, it might feel different, but I was enjoying the fact that, having not known very much about this game, like, I didn't know how big the island could be, or, like, how long I'd be playing this, or, like... It, it did feel like a pure, you know, undiscovered. That the whole experience was f- felt very like kind of freeform to me, and that was quite exciting as I was playing it. Came across as this game that was trying to do something completely different. That I mean, it does. Terrible. It does everything that you know, Minecraft or like the survival games that followed it, like your No Man's, oh, Sky, no Man's Sky, or Sky, Valheim, yeah. Subnautica. It does all that stuff, but like years and years and years earlier than those games came out. Loads of indie ones as well, like Terraria and stuff. There are so many games that are made in the vein of this that are Aye. about crafting and survival. And it, the fact that this came out in uh, 1999 and nothing was doing it at the time, you would be forgiven if somebody was to play through this and they were told, ah, it was an indie game that came out, they would be like, right, okay, they're just ripping everything else off. But they weren't. <laughs> like, nothing was doing this at that time. Aye, it's um, definitely doing some, uh, something different. I, I did get a bit overwhelmed. Do you know, I got some memories flooding back when the, the items and trying to decide what item does what and stuff. Kind of reminded me of an old point-and-click kind of game where you didn't know what the items were really meant to do. It's yeah, I kind of use the point-and-click approach of like just combine everything with everything until aye, you get aye. something. Most of it I found fairly fairly obvious to me. Oh, I've got a rope with a hook on it and a flexible stick. Right, well, that's going to gaze a, a fishing rod. I found myself overthinking the crafting because <laughs> I, it was like, I was going up to a bit and it was like, this is a tree, you need to cut this down with an axe, right? So I was combining things and I was like, ah, right, surely stick and then ivy and then a bit of metal. Because you want the ivy to wrap it around and secure it. But it's actually just stick plus bit of metal. Like, I didn't actually need anything to tie it to it or anything like that. Aye, you just, yep. just stuck it in it. <laughs> I was thinking too much to it, aye. I was probably thinking too much into it with the items and stuff. I'm thinking, God, this is well in my league, man. Because I do, I, I, these type of games, just loads of items and stuff, I do get kind of overwhelmed. Especially when it comes to like crafting and uh, combining and stuff like that. And I think I kind of I, I got that feeling off this. I really, really like, though, the. The, the fact that you had an open area that you could go about as your leisure and essentially create your own experience, I thought it was really good. As I said, I love No Man's Sky and it gave me like vibes of that a wee bit. Well, it's got the Aye. it's got the the Resident Evil fucking equipment management thing, man. Because you've got your Aye. inside your your hut, you've got your your chest, and you can only carry a certain amount of items at one time. So you might Aye, want to fucking. 
get some food that you want to keep and you know if you're going to go and explore the caves that day you, you might not need your fishing rod but you, you might want to take porch for instance like i like the equipment management side of it as well because this isn't a very well-known game like you were saying like there's not very many faqs and stuff like that like it kind of it's a rare experience of, of us all kind of like discovering things together and feeling that you they were kind of the first person to discover things when we were talking to each other like i was quite amazed um when i picked up a berry and it says this berry can be used as a spice and i was like, all right so i've got some cooked meat here maybe i'll combine it with that spice and then it tells me i've made like like jerky, like long lasting food. <laughs> yeah. Just... Aye, aye. Who's that? What? Because it's like berry jerry? Berry. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm, I don't know, Mr. Like preservative. I, an allspice ah, or something. But like a prune. Bas- a prune. Well, you've, like bacon. You've made like bacon or je- beef jerky. But a berry? No, berry plus meat. Berry plus cooked meat. Oh, right. So then you get that, and then that doesn't spoil. So you can add that to your, your inventory and just keep it forever and then munch on it when you've. You've not getting left. Like that that felt like I had pure genuinely like I'd invented fire myself when I found that out. It was quite, it was quite I, you I felt was really quite clever. A, quite Aye. an emotional moment for myself too when I finally got something to work. I know. I, I feel like that too. <laughs> and I, you do feel a sense of achievement, man. I really wish that I, I really wish that I got further in this game, man, because it's, it's something that I've not really seen before. Kind of the form it's in, if that makes any sense. Really interesting, man. You find the other fucking kid after... So I got to... As I say, I used to play this fucking emulated before and I could get that far. This time, I got to the bit where I'd made the raft and I kept getting an ending where I try to sail away and I died. And it's just dawned on me during the recording of this that it's because although I was taking plenty of food with me, it wasn't preserved. So... Ah, (laughs) right. You venture too far out. To survive on the raft, you need to have four pieces. I thought it was of cooked meat, but I bet you you need to have four pieces of preserved meat. Oh, um, no, sense. A, and a oh, full canteen of water. But once you get to the other bit of the island, you get to do all this other stuff. You meet the other kid, but they are ill, and to get the best ending, you need to find some fucking herb or something that cures them. And also unlock this big mad cracking boat, and then the two Waynes and the monkey escape together, and you, you get off the island or whatever. But as I say, there's there's hundreds of different endings as well. I think me and you both kind of independently come up with the idea that yeah, this would have made a really good lost game. <laughs> yes. Aye, aye, or aye, castaway or something. Because you're kind of wondering about this island, and like you discover. You discover like human structures and like evidence that other people Relics. have maybe been on this island at some point, either in the recent or far past. Like that that's kinda how I felt when I was playing it. How cool would it have been to walk into like a fucking abandoned laboratory? You'd be like, ah, hold on. What fucking <laughs> what happened in this place? Aye. Aye, there's a there's a hatch where you can like type numbers into a thing to stop the world ending. Smoke monster, or a polar bear, it'd be great. I like that because it would have made better fucking lost game than the one that came out. Because there's that rhythm, I like you've got to kind of stock up. You've got to make sure you've got all your food and water before you go out on an adventure. It makes it feel, feel more impactful when you go out and discover something new because it feels like you've kind of gone on this this quest to discover it. Aye. And then you you know, you know get back to somewhere safe to fucking... You need to have provisions and things like that. I don't know how to describe that. It makes it feel more urgent. <laughs> 
Aye. I think I would say making your way through a dungeon in Zelda feels sort of lower stakes because you just get teleported back to the start of it or something if you run out of hearts. Whereas in this, you can starve to death. Um, you can That's fatigue to death. Uh, you can run out of water. You need to keep a light source. It's aye, it's, it's, it's pretty good stuff. I like the fact it's got a procedural day, kind of like Grand Theft Auto or Shenmue before it. Well, there we go, Shenmue again. Uh, where it's got like a 24 hour system. And then um, things kind of change as the time goes on, like changes that actually into night and stuff. And then that's when you know you need to sleep. There's something that I get for playing Game Boy Color games, and like including this, in it's a weird kind of psychological thing because if you've played loads of 8 bit games like the on the NES and that, and you play a Game Boy Color game, you think you're playing a NES game, you think you're playing something that came out in 1980, but you're playing something that came out 20 years later with mm-hmm. 20 years of like modern uh, game design behind it. So if you're playing this, we think it looks like a Link's Awakening. But then all of a sudden there's a day and night cycle, or all of a sudden there's there's crafting. It kind of takes you back. Like, whoa, hold on, well, like, what's what's minute, what's going on here? What like, because man? yeah, because the Game Boy Color, as I was saying with the, like with the Neo Geo, with the handheld market, it, it wasn't always about having the most powerful console. Like, the Game Boy Color for the time was was an eight bit system in an era when the fucking PlayStation Two was out. You know, it was like so underpowered in comparison to everything else, but. Folk were still making like kind of eight bit games well into fucking the year two thousand, so you get kind of weird outliers like this. You wanted your money's worth. I think it's it's probably quite telling that this was made in the era of kind of Pokemon, where I guess everything had to be a sort of sweeping adventure, or not everything had to be, but it's sort of what the kids wanted. I, I think that became, I guess, like what we were talking about about how the the Neo Geo Pocket maybe kind of found its own niche. Because there was a maybe maybe an expectation that you would have these sort of games on a Game Boy Color. Yeah, they actually fucking remade this on a DS. Ah, do you know what? I was watching a video and it, they were talking about. Um, they said that there was uh, two resulting games for this one, but they're not as good. There was a sequel on the Game Boy Color. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The sequel on the Game Boy Color, which I think was maybe Japan only, possibly, and then. On the DS, it was actually a trilogy called Lost in Blue, but I think the consensus seems to be that folk like uh, survival kids better. I think the Game Boy ones are just a wee bit kind of better thought of, but as Andy was saying at the start, it's a weird mixture of Link's Adventure, the Zelda Game Boy game, and you know a, a Harvest Moon game with these sort of survival mechanics thrown in. It's definitely pretty fucking unique. I, I think in terms of I mean, if I was to say recommend or no, if you tend to be the type of person that plays Game Boy games on your phone on public transport, this shouldn't worth a look. Um, I wouldn't go and try to fucking track down the cartridge because I think, I don't know if I'll defer to Mr. MacArthur on this one, but I think this is um, a rarity. I think you're looking at like 100 sheets or something for Stranded aye. Kids. Yeah, because it's got quite a cult following. Um, usually the, it's not the rarity of the game it's the cult following plus the rarity of the game like you can have all these Atari games that are worth nothing but I think because this game is good and because it's considered good by a cult following it's quite expensive aye ah. uh, what I would say to you is my, my final thought it's one of these um, situations whereby I can appreciate the beauty of the game but a game is beyond my capabilities at times that like I struggle with it and it, perhaps it's not 100% my thing but I can appreciate it's 
it's very interesting. It's very well done, and I can appreciate what it was trying to do. I think if folk have played like No Man's Sky or, or Valheim is the one that I know best, and that's kind of definitely felt like a, you'll be quite at home with this, even though it's a game that came out like 20 years before it. I think you'll find a lot to enjoy. I don't play a lot of these games. Do you think Stranded Kids would feel like, I don't know, Valheim for babies? Like, is it going to feel too simple to people who like that kind of thing? I don't know, but I mean, maybe that's maybe that's what you want sometimes. Like, you don't want to be... But, like, I've played some survival games where I feel so on edge playing them because I've, I've got to, like, balance my fucking... Like, my my hunger and my, my thirst and my, my mental health. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, all of this at the same time <laughs> we're playing it. Like, this one maybe, like, dives the complexity to a wee bit and it makes it a bit less stressful. That's, that was the worst thing I found about Island Living was the imposter syndrome. <laughs> uh, we're just couldn't go over it. Once, once that bar goes down to zero, you disassociate and it's game over. I- I get a JRPG effect, like I don't want to fuck it up, but I, I feel that if I'm doing the wrong thing, I'm fucking it up. And, uh, well, the, the only way you can fuck this up is literally starve to death. Like, there's no, yeah. there's no in-between states, you're not going to break your arm or anything, it's either you're alive or you're dead. Aye, aye, no, that makes sense. Aye, interesting me game, man. What's the story behind it? Is it? Do we know the developers? Do they make anything else apart for the two sequels? Or are they, is it just an independent company? A Konami in it? It's a, it's a Konami? Is it Konami, aye? Aye. Fashion. Aye. Konami were good once upon a time. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Boggin Skeleton. Boggin Cops. Found that pretty cool. It was caught me off guard. You don't really see that Nintendo games. They're all usually kind of bright, fancy, um, but don't watch scary wains, but there's a horrible corpse on this. And <laughs> you have a bit of reflection when say, oh God, I hope I don't end up like this horrible slimy corpse. Yeah, for something that's quite cutesy and looks a wee bit like Zelda or Harvest Moon or something, the threat of starving to death is very real. There's dark things in it, aye. Absolutely. They say quite, like, bleak things, like, I'm done for with like, a wee ellipsis <laughs> or this is the end for me and things like that. You're just and, a win. You're just a it just, <laughs> just tells you how many days you survived but for. That's and if you've not saved, back to, <laughs> back to the beginning. But aye, it's a, an interesting wee fucking wee game to look at. If if anybody had anything else to say on it, but I'm I'm kinda I'm happy there. As I said, I want to get it across that um but aye, it's just it's a case of where the game overwhelms me because it, it's it's that good essentially. For what I thought I played it, it was really, really interesting and it's always good to see something done different. Um which this is very much of that ilk, essentially. So I enjoyed it for what it was, I. There we go. Um well we dish it our games for next time. Oh, I've got a cracker, man. Can I go right. first? Of course you can. Right, all right, right. As you know, I'm a big fan of the uh, band Radiohead. There's a song right, uh, that has like, a weird kind of um, sample going through it. And it's uh, a crazy wee sample. It sounds either like a SNES or an NES. And it turns out it's from a game called, just before your time, lads, 1987, called Faxanadu. Faxanadu for the NES. Right. And apparently, it's a wee bit like Axe Battle or a Zelda 2. I've, I've, I actually know a bit more than I'm letting on here. But I think it's something that you'll really enjoy, Fogarty. So I'm going to for that one. Quite a wee favourite of mine, a wee backburner of mine. So. I've, I've, never, I've never looked at it. Um, I've never played it. But the, the title I have seen on a few different fucking hidden gems lists. So... I'm looking forward to playing that one. We'll go for that one. Something to look forward to. 
McCormick, what you got for Andy? So, since the, the holy day of Easter's coming up, where our Lord Jesus Christ rose for the dead, I thought I'd give a game where you play as God. Um, a very religious uh, themed game. I know what's this is. Do you? This is Act Razor on the. Oh, snares. I thought you were going to say Black and White because you know the wood song chat. <laughs> <laughs> I, have, I, I was saying to to Laz that I had the wood the wood the wood song, um, which I included in a previous episode for Black and White stuck in my head. But this one is uh, Act Razor on the snares, the two D beat em up slash God Sim. Act crossover, which is quite interesting. I haven't played this game. This is off my radar, lads. It's a uh, fucking no nineties Enix for the Super Nintendo man. It's a it's a fucking belter, and it's probably going to be more to your liking than the JRPGs would be, Andy. Um, I, I can see you digging that one. For Mister McCormick, I have also been looking ahead to the the holy time of Easter. However, unlike going for a Protestant game. Like Actraiser, um, which you know <laughs> emphasizes a personal relationship with God. I'm very much more taking the Catholic approach by giving you an adaptation of uh, Dante Alighieri's Divine Comedy, um, the seminal work of the Italian <laughs> language, dealing with a poet venturing through the circles of hell. Um, it is uh, Dante's Inferno. For the Commodore 64, not oh. the fucking Xbox 360 version. Oh, damn it. There's a weird wee fucking adventure game based on Inferno, basically. Nice, <laughs> man. And that's your, that's, cool. that's, that's your Easter egg, Mick. Oh, well. I'll just cut about with the Virtuous Pagans, uh, <laughs> Socrates, <laughs> and uh, um, what you call him? When he wrote... Um, the Divine Comedy. He didn't want to put like all of his fav- his favorite people before Jesus Aye. was born in like hell proper. So Dante didn't want to put Virgil in proper hell or like Aristotle or fucking Plato yeah, or any C- of these guys. Or Cicero or that. So Aye. he gave them a, a kind of special zone uh, that wasn't that bad. That's not that's not in this game, sadly. But I looking, looking forward to. To that liter- literary masterpiece. Well, I think you you might even get to see uh, Satan like chewing on the corpse of Judas. Like I think I think there are some stuff at the the text in it. But um, nice. Did they, see a, a com- did they see a comedy? It was merely just uh, playing a good ending. So that sounds like a good ending to me. <laughs> there we go. But yeah, um, who wants to take away the? Who wants the final line? Go for it. We'll go simple. I'll just say slang Java and happy Easter, everybody. <laughs> well, it's no Easter. It's, it's no Easter. Yeah, Lent is the uh, finished, right? No crisps or biscuits. Ah, oh, for fuck's sake! Oh, oh shit! My watch must be wrong. <laughs>